When September arrives, it marks the beginning of a new season in the life of our community. And with that new season comes anticipation and invitation. Like, what will this year bring? What will I experience and enjoy? What new thing is God going to invite me into in the season ahead? What will he do in and through us as a church community? See, questions like these, they run through our, our minds as new seasons begin, reminding us that a new season always comes with a sense of anticipation. But along with that sense of anticipation, new seasons invite us to embrace new things. New seasons are like that. They're a time of fresh starts, new possibilities. It's the starting of new rhythms that will be shaped and formed into your life as you continue on deeper into the season that you're beginning. That's the nature of new seasons. They come with anticipation and invitation. And this new season that we're beginning in our community is no different. It's no different. God is inviting us, I believe, into a new season, to embrace new postures for this new season. And by postures, what I mean by that is ways of living and being that put you in a position to encounter and enjoy the person of Jesus and be empowered to follow him and become like him. And I'm convinced as I come back from a time of rest called sabbatical, I'm convinced that God is inviting us as a church to embrace new postures for this new season. And that's why over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at two postures that God has been forming in me. And I actually believe that God wants to form in us as a church community as well. And today, we're going to start with one simple yet very powerful idea that this year you are being invited to seek God. Now, I know that sounds super spiritual. It might even make you cringe, but it doesn't make it any less true or less important because the reality is this, is that you can seek a lot of things this year, but there's only one thing that's gonna give you what you truly need. Only one thing can answer that ache within you for something more. Only one thing can quench the thirst of your heart. It's not gonna be your professional life. As good and important as that is, you won't find what you're looking for there. Or what about your, your personal life? Well, you won't find it there either. As deep and meaningful and, and good as those relationships and experiences and hobbies are, they can only take you so far. And so the only place that you are gonna find what you truly need and what you are ultimately searching for is, you guessed it, Jesus. Because only Jesus can satisfy the hunger of the human soul and only Jesus can quench the thirst of the human heart which makes this first posture of seeking so important because when we seek Jesus, we will find him. When we seek Jesus, we will find him. And that's just not something I'm saying because it sounds good. And it's not just something that I'm making up. In fact, this is a promise right out of God's mouth as he was speaking to his people through a prophet named Jeremiah. If you go back to the part of the Bible called the Old Testament, it's the part of the Bible before Jesus, you read in Jeremiah 29, verse 13 and 14, these words out of God's mouth. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. See, there's that simple yet powerful idea again. When we seek Jesus, 
we will find him. It's not a guessing game. It's not a maybe or a might. It's a promise right out of the mouth of God. When you seek me, you will find me. Now we hear that promise and that opens us up to this is that we can actually encounter and enjoy and know the God of the universe, the God who created everything, who hung the stars in the sky and made mountains and set their foundations in the ground, the God who created oceans and people and animals and trees. We can know this God. He's not hiding from you. He's not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek where he cannot be found, not this God. He's waiting for you. He wants to be wanted by you. This God, he loves you and he likes you and he wants to be found by you. Which is an amazing thing when you stop and you actually allow that to sink in, that if you want God, you can have him. You can have him in your life. You can know him and live your life with him. And now maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you've never thought about it like this, but it is true. God is saying to you and to me and to all of us, regardless of our story or our situation, that when you seek me, you will find me. Now, for some of us, that's a, that's a great reminder. And it's fuel in our engine to continue the seeking God, to continue what we've already been doing. For some of us, that's how we receive that. But for others of us, we're not even sure there is a being called God. And if there is a God, we're not even sure that he actually wants to be found by us. And so you hear these words out of God's mouth to his people, and you're not really sure what to think about all of this. And still others of us, we feel this gap between the promises of God and the reality of our lives. And all we can think about is that God must be making himself really hard to find because I'm trying to seek him, but I can't seem to find him. He feels absent. See, all these experiences are in this room right here, right now, and all of them are valid. Like I know for most of my life, I had doubts about God. I didn't know what to think about him. And so because I didn't know for sure, I didn't live my life trying to seek him, I went seeking other things and I tried to find what I was looking for outside of him. See, until I met Jesus in my mid-20s, I was running my own life. I was trying to find meaning and identity and significance and purpose outside of God. I mean, I believed God existed, but I thought he was somewhere out there and that he wasn't really that compelling, nor was he relevant to my life. And so I'm not gonna follow him. I mean, that's what I thought at that time in my life. So I went looking for something to fill the place that God is meant to occupy. And for me, that was the sport of hockey. Hockey became the vehicle to the best life. It became the, the avenue to reach the things that I wanted in my life to find meaning and purpose and significance. And I reached great heights in the sport. But even in that great pursuit, and even in the great heights, I still felt empty inside. And it left me wondering, is this all there is? Is there anything out there that can fill up this empty place within me? And if there is, where do I find it? See, it was questions like these that led me on a search. And that search ultimately led me to Jesus. And when I found him, it was like a light switch got turned on in my heart. And I knew that I'd met the one that I'd been searching for all along. I just didn't know it until I found him. And in processing that, moment in my life and in the aftermath of that moment, I realized that outside of Jesus, I can find a lot of great things in this world, but they're all fleeting. And the answer to all my searching in my life is ultimately Jesus. 
but it took me a journey to get there. I had to seek so that I could find that out for myself. And maybe you're here today and there's this restlessness that just won't be put to rest within you. There's an ache within you that just can't seem to be answered no matter how hard you try. And if that's you in any way, if it's just a small feeling or a big feeling, if it's niggling at the corner of your consciousness, if that's you in any way, well, can I tell you, it's a signpost pointing you home to the one that you were made for. It's an invitation to you to start seeking the one you were made for. Now, you can do one of two things with, with that. The first is that you can ignore that feeling and just continue on in the way that you're going. So you can keep looking for something or someone other than Jesus to give you the rest and the peace and the identity and the purpose and the meaning and the joy that you crave. You can choose to do that, but if you do, then all you can expect is more of the same. But if you do want something to change, if you're at all like me when I was in my mid-20s, is this all there is? Is there something that can make a difference in this journey that I find myself on? If you want something to change, then there's a second option on the table for you is that you can explore what you're feeling inside and let it lead you on a journey to Jesus. Because that's where that journey leads. It leads you to him and it is worth it to take that journey in the end. Even if that journey is hard at times, even if it calls out more of you than you are wanting to give, the journey is worth it because it leads you to the one you were made for, Jesus. Those are the two options on the table and you're free to choose which one you take. But what I'm hoping that you're going to see today, what I hope that you're going to start feeling today is that the God of the universe, he can be found. He can be known. And what is going on inside you is one way that he is calling out to you and inviting you to seek him. See, God is not hiding from you and from me. He's not the one hiding. In fact, if anything, we're the ones who tend to hide from him. This is, the, this is the story of the Bible. If you flip back to the very first pages of the Bible in a book called Genesis, we are brought into a world where the first humans enjoyed God face to face. There was no separation between God or humans, just closeness, just intimacy, just looking and gazing upon God with their very own eyes. God was with us and we got to be with God. But then as chapter three comes, the embodiment of evil in the form of a serpent, enters the garden and tells the first humans the lie that they can find life apart from God, that they can actually take the position of God in the world, and they listened. They did the one thing that God said not to do, and it fractured everything. Our relationship with God, ourselves, with one another, our relationship with creation, everything gets fractured by what the Bible calls sin. It was a world without sin. The humans disobey. Sin enters the world. And in the shadow of that tragic moment, God comes looking for Adam and Eve. And Genesis 3, verses 8 to 10, tell us what that moment was like. It says, and they, talking about the first humans, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And so God comes looking for Adam and Eve and what do they do? Because of their guilt and their shame and the realization of their nakedness, they hide from the one who was their home. They hide from God. 
And then because of the decision, the story continues and God casts them out of the garden. The place where he is, the place where their life is, the place where they were made for, he casts them out of that. And ever since that moment, you and I, all humans have been haunted by the place that we were made for, but are now separated from. This is the story that we find ourselves in. And so that restlessness you feel, that sense of dislocation or the feeling that you're wandering around in this world trying to find a home, it can all be traced back to this moment in the garden that Genesis describes. This is where it all comes from. It's there because we had a home and we have lost the place that we were made for. Now what's fascinating is that that when you get to the book of Jeremiah, the text that I've already read, this longing for a place that's been lost, it's still there. It's still present. It hasn't gone anywhere. Because in Jeremiah 29, God's people, they're in exile in Babylon. The greatest superpower of the time swept into the heart of Israel and captured Jerusalem. They broke down the city walls, they tore down the temple, and they carried off God's people into exile. Meaning God's people, their world, it was compl turned completely upside down. They lost their homes. And we find them trapped in a life they didn't want, nor did they expect to have. They're cut off from their homeland. And they're filled with this longing to get back to the place that they called home. And Jeremiah comes along and he speaks into this situation. He says, hey, you are going to be here for 70 more years. Which means that some of God's people who hear this promise from God, who hear these words from Jeremiah, they knew that they would never see their homeland again. That they were actually going to die in captivity. Some of them knew that they would have to wait most of their lives for the chance to see their home once again. Jeremiah 29 tells us that the story of God's people is one of exile. But notice, it's also the context for God's promise. When you seek me, you will find me. See, God's promise is given amidst the pain of being separated from home. God's promise is given in a world where you are cut off from the life you knew and you're looking to find that life again. God's promise is given to his people amidst the pain and the brokenness of life. He says, you can find me if you will seek me. Now, you and I, well, we may not be in exile like Israel, but the Bible does describe our current experience of living in this world as followers of Jesus as one of exile. That we are actually a people who are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, but we live in this world, but our true home is a coming kingdom. And so from the Bible's perspective, exile is our story too. It just looks and feels and sounds different than the exile that Israel was experiencing. And so into our exile, we hear God speak once again. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. So God's message is clear. I'm not always going to change your physical circumstances, but I am offering you myself in the middle of those circumstances. And when exile is your story, this is a lifeline for you and for me and for us. It's a word of hope being spoken into the dark places that we sometimes find ourselves in. It's a word of hope that when you adopt the posture of seeking, it can begin a journey out of captivity into the place that you were created for with God in his presence. 
And this idea is not just confined to a book of the Bible called Jeremiah. It's like a thread running from front to back in the pages of Scripture. It's this idea that God is at work in history to bring us out of exile and back to the place that we were made for. In the first chapter of the this, of this story, in Genesis, the story starts with human disobedience separating us from the presence of God and the source of life. But in the shadow of that moment, God promises to do something about it. And the rest of the story, all the way to Revelation, is God keeping his promise. It's about him doing what needs to be done to keep that promise, his promise to bring us home again into a life in a completely transformed and utterly renewed world where we will be face to face with him once again. The last book of the Bible called Revelation describes that moment like this. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's a It's a renewal of what was intended at the beginning is now coming to fruition at the end when God sets all things right. This is where history is headed to a day where we will return to the place we were always meant to be, in the presence of God. He will be with us and we will be with him. One scholar sums it up like this. He says, when the gun went off at the start of the human race and when it goes off again at the finish line, the same truth will remain. Humanity was made for the manifest presence of God. That's the story we're in. We messed it up, but God has done everything in Jesus to help us find our way home to the place that we were made for. This is the hope that we have, that God has gone to great lengths in Jesus to lead us out of captivity and to bring us home. Again, just think about it. Jesus left heaven for you. Jesus died on a Roman cross for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Why? Because Jesus wants to bring you home. Jesus wants to bring you home. He wants you to enter into and enjoy the place and the person that you are made for. And this is not just a future thing, way out ahead in the time when Jesus comes back that Revelation is talking about. It's a today thing too. Jesus is here right now and he's calling out to you saying, come home. Your journey out of captivity, friend, can start today and you can find your home again in Jesus because he wants to bring you home, to be with him, not just one day in the future, but today. And this offer is for anyone who wants it. They can have it. All you have to do is seek Jesus by telling him, Jesus, I want to find you. Reveal yourself to me and bring me home. That's it. He's made a way. Now it's up for you and I to respond. But one of the the hurdles that so often comes in these moments is that something always seems to get in the way of us taking that step of response, doesn't it? Well, there's things like shame. Like shame drives us to cover up and hide who we are because we believe there's something wrong with us and shame keeps us from others in relationship but can also keep us up from a relationship with Jesus or guilt. We're aware we've done something wrong We might not know what, but we know something's wrong, so our guilt keeps us back. The regrets that we have keeps us back from God. There's the broken stories that we have, the hurts we've experienced, or the trauma that we've gone through, the life circumstances, the things that have been spoken over us or to us that have wounded us so deeply. There's the lies that we've come to believe, the misperceptions that we have of God and what he's like. 
There's the idea that we don't have enough time, that we don't have enough time to seek God in our busy schedules, or, or maybe we've become too familiar with God in the gospel, and so we've settled into this kind of nominal kind of rhythm with Jesus. See, there's a lot of reasons to not embrace the posture of seeking, but I want to tell you there are better reasons to embrace it. And the better reason to embrace it is Jesus. And the question I want to ask and explore is why would we ever want to seek Jesus? Well, first off, because of who he is. Just listen to how a man named Paul describes Jesus and tell me he's not worth seeking after. In a letter called Colossians, Paul says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. This is who Jesus is. He has always existed and has always been. He's never changed and never will change. He's perfect and he always will be. He knows all things and is limitless in love and grace and truth. He created all things and he rules over everything that he created. He's a king of all creation. He's beautiful. He has surpassing worth. This is Jesus and he is worth seeking because of who he is. And he's also worth seeking because of what he's done. See, when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about someone who has done everything that needed to be done so that you and I could have a life with God both now and forever. See, because of him, our debt to God that we owed because of our sin and mistakes is paid. Our hope is secure. All the barriers in the way of us finding Jesus have been torn down. He is our redeemer. He is our rescuer. And that makes him worth seeking both because of who he is and because of what he's done, but also because of what he offers us. See, in Ephesians, another letter in the Bible, it says that God has given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus, adoption, forgiveness, redemption. He's made us holy and set apart before him because of Jesus. He has lavished his love with us. That just goes on and on and on. We have been given every spiritual blessing in Jesus. We've been given eternal life. The very life of God lives inside those who believe in Jesus. It's that in this here and now, but it's also an eternal life of duration when Jesus comes back. We've been given new life. We've been given a fullness of life in Jesus. We've been given a love unlike anything that this world has to offer. Jesus offers us so much, it's incredible. But let me tell you, the very best thing that Jesus offers us is himself. See, of all the blessings of God, of all the things that God has given us, of all the things that God can do, the greatest thing, the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. Jesus is the prize. He is the greatest treasure of all. And so it's no wonder that author and pastor A.W. Tozer wrote that God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful that he can, without anything other than himself, meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature mysterious and deep as that nature is. Like, who is like our God? 
our God has no rival or equal. If you took all the most beautiful things in all of history, past, present, and future, and you added them all up, it still wouldn't even come close to the beauty of who Jesus is. And we are being invited to seek him and know him for ourselves. It's an amazing thing. And so as this new season begins, I want to ask you, will you embrace the posture of seeking or will you settle for something less than the person and the presence of Jesus? Now, how you answer that is between you and God, but I want to exhort you today. Can I exhort you today? Don't settle for where you are. There's more to be had. Jesus is going to offer you himself and he is offering you more than you can imagine. And you can have him and all that he can give you when you seek him and take God at his word. And hey, today you might not be in a place where you're there yet, and that's okay. You are welcome here. You can belong before you believe here at Central Heights. You might be like our son, Jack. My wife was talking to him one night and she said to him, hey, Jack, do you wanna accept Jesus into your heart, buddy? And Jack responded, he says, no money, I need some space from Jesus right now. You might be like Jack. You may need some space from Jesus right now, and that's okay. Keep coming, keep exploring, keep asking questions. That's your posture of seeking in this season. But maybe you don't need space. Maybe today you're here and your desire for Jesus has grown cold. You haven't felt a hunger or a thirst for him and a passion to be close to him in a long while. Or maybe you want what Jesus can give you more than you actually want Jesus himself. And if that's you and you're here today, there's an opportunity to recalibrate today, to move out of the place you've settled in and embrace the posture of seeking Jesus with a new intensity and a new intentionality for this season. See, what if this year we adopted the posture of seeking Jesus individually and as a community? What if this year we prioritize time alone with Jesus to pray, to read your Bible? What if we prioritize coming to church consistently, getting into a community group, serving? What if we did all that? Because that's what seeking looks like. What if you committed to that? What if we as a church committed to that, to make this year about seeking the person and presence of Jesus? What if we made this year about inviting God to make us into a people where the posture of seeking is in our DNA? What if we did that together? What if we sought Jesus in prayer and in worship and we just put all our eggs into this basket of saying, let's seek Jesus together? What if we did that? Well, I think this ministry year would look pretty special, don't you? So as we end, let me put two questions before you to get you started on this journey and in the, in, in the consideration of embracing this posture of seeking. The first question is this, what is my current level of desire for Jesus? Do an honest examination. Where am I at when it comes to my desire and hunger to know Jesus? What is my current level of desire for Jesus? And as you answer that question, then the follow-up question is, what do I need to change or adjust to see that desire grow? How do I need to rearrange my schedule? How do I need to carve out time to seek Jesus? Start small, but ask, what do I need to adjust or to change to see the desire grow for the person and presence of Jesus? Take time to examine your answers to those questions. And as you do, remember that there is a promise has been made by God. The invitation to seek him has been given. And now the ball is in your court. And will I ask, will you seek him? Will you seek him?
And if the answer is yes, then the promise from God is you will find him. That's a promise for, from God for you, for me, and for us as we look to embrace this new posture of seeking for a new season.